is God's word. Good, beautiful, and true. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders will labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those who love. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this, Psalm 127, that You inspired it so many years ago by Your Spirit, that You illumine our hearts now to show us Your glory through it, I pray in these moments as we meditate upon your word that you would show us the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and cause our hearts to, 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 to be pointed and turned toward him our heart affections we place them. Let us see his glory that we might not chase after the false glories of the things of this world or the selfish desires of our hearts. Show us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember in ninth grade, I went to the guidance counselor's office, and you may have had a similar experience as you're going into high school. And I sat down in front of this guidance counselor that I didn't know at all, and I had just met a couple minutes earlier, and she's got her thing out in my file, and she says, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm ninth grade. And I had thought about that question before, but of course, when you're a kid, it's what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, you know, Indiana Jones. I want to be, you know, an explorer or whatever. But this was the first time that I think I was seriously asked the question. What do you want to be when you grow up? I think the idea for the guidance counselor was to put something in my file, and then she was going to look at the course listing for high school and kind of chart out my pathway. Okay, you want to be this. Here's the classes you need to take to get to that point. You can go off to college if you're going to college. But I had no idea. I had no idea. So I thought, wrapped my brain, I said, I want to be a comic book artist. Yeah, I love drawing. I want to be a comic book artist. Now, I didn't know what that mean, meant. I had no idea. My real plans, if I had been honest in that office, weren't so much comic book artists. My real plans were to make as much money as I could. What did I want to be when I grew up? Rich. That was the true answer in ninth grade. I wanted a big house, a temple to my own abilities. I wanted to build my kingdom. I wanted to make a name for myself. If I was honest, that's what I wanted to do. A big name, a big house, rich. Now this isn't new to me in ninth grade. It's not new to our culture. This mindset, this impulse permeates human history. Permeates scripture. You can go back near to the beginning. Genesis 11, the famous story of the Tower of Babel. People gathered together. They had been scattered, had different languages, and then the people gather together, they have one language, and they begin a building project. And you may know this story, but this is what they say when they start to build. They say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, I point that out. They're building a temple to themselves to make a name for themselves, not for the good of others, the glory of God, to make a name for themselves. I point all of that out in Genesis 11 
Because that's what immediately precedes what was our call to worship this morning in Genesis 12. Now notice the words that God says to Abram when he is calling him out of darkness. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will what? Make your name great. The builders of the Tower of Babel have gathered together to make for themselves a name. We are going to prove ourselves. Everyone will see this tower and be super impressed. And God comes on the scene and he says, Abraham, follow me and I'll take care of your name. I'll take care of all of that. I'll take care of your vindication. I'll take care of establishing whatever needs to be established. But into this world where people gather together and they use their powers to build monuments and temples to themselves, I am at work. Not just to build a stone tower that might last a few generations, but to reverse the power of sin. God is bringing blessing into this world where curse abounds, and he does it through Abraham. That's two fundamentally different pictures of what it means to live in this world. The Tower of Babel, where you build to make a name for yourselves, or the way of Abraham. To receive the promise of God... That leaves the making of a name to him. To live after his way and entrust the results to God. It's two different ways of living. And that's two different ways of living that we also find here in Psalm 127. That's why I bring it up. It's two ways of life and thinking about what matters and what is really valuable in this world. So our first section this morning I'm calling two ways. Notice at the beginning of the psalm, it says at the beginning, it's a song of ascent of what? Solomon. This is the one and only psalm of ascent that mentions the name Solomon. Jewish tradition has that this psalm was written by David to his son Solomon. That David was at the end of his life and he knew Solomon was his heir. He was going to take the throne of Israel and he was going to reign in God's name. He was going to inherit this promise that God had made that through a son of David one day he would work, which we know is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Solomon also was going to be building the temple. So David is thinking, Solomon, you've got a lot of building ahead of you. You've got a lot of power in your hands that you can use one way or another. So David writes this song to him. And he lays out for Solomon a picture of two ways of life. Solomon, you're going to do a lot of building. You can either build to make a name for yourself, and all that building will be in vain. Or you can reign by faith in God, and you can invest in things that truly matter. Solomon, if you use your power to build your house and make, your name for, make a name for yourself, or even building God's house, the temple, for your own name, you will build in vain. If you work really hard and you get up early and you stay up late, but you just pursue making a name for yourself, it will be in vain. You can work and work and it come to nothing. You can build a tower and a monument to your own pride and it will be shattered and brought down. That's what David's telling Solomon. Now, of course, this song isn't just for Solomon. We're kind of reading over his shoulder, but it's also a song for us. It's a song of wisdom for us. Of what it means to live a life pursued by defining wisdom, by, def by pursuing what matters. And this song isn't just a warning, though it is. The first part talks about, you know, you could build, if the Lord's not building it, it's in vain. It's not just a warning, but it's also a promise. Because all those warnings carry a promise with them. The inverse is true. If the Lord does build the house, then the labor's never in vain. If we pursue what truly matters, 
and entrust it to God, he loses nothing that we entrust to him. If the Lord watches over us, then we can rest assured that nothing can ever separate us from his love. And in that knowledge, we can rest. So it talks about how God has sleep for those he loves. We don't have to burn the candle at both ends to prove ourselves. God is not a taskmaster, a slave driver with a whip with a list of things for us to do. God doesn't bring us to unending toil. God brings us to rest. Physically, yes, we can lay our heads on the pillow at night knowing that the God of the universe loves us and works all things out for our good. Even if we can't put the pieces together how that works, we can sleep and we can rest in Him spiritually. That's true for us individually. That's true for us as a church. As we are a young church and we're praying for growth and we're going to see it happen, we must always remember that it's not happening because we have good ideas or we have exceptional power and gifts. It's not happening because we've done really hard work to grow God's kingdom. God grows his kingdom. We don't. We're part of his kingdom. We're witnesses to his kingdom. We point to him. And God will work in front of us and through us and in us. But it's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's never us building a name for ourselves. The moment we begin to think of the church as a place or a platform to make a name for ourselves is the moment that we can be sure that we're no longer witnessing to the grace of God. It's why I kind of do get really uncomfortable when I see like billboards with the pastor's face on it, which, you know, that can be good maybe from a marketing standpoint. I don't want to put my face, I think we might lose people if I put my face on the billboard, but um, that's, that's why I get uncomfortable at all of those things because I feel like that, those are like beginning steps of veering off in the wrong direction. Because here's the truth, people have been chewed up and spit out by churches. I think maybe the majority of this room has had that experience in one way or another. Burned out by trying to volunteer for everything because we're guilted into it. Because the leaders have goals to get this many people in the door and run this many programs. The truth is, sadly, so much that passes for church is really people making a name for themselves. And it's always, almost always, the most vulnerable people that pay the cost of that. It's almost always the most vulnerable people that pay the cost of that. And that's actually why this song turns to talking about children next. It may seem weird if you read through it. it, it it's always seemed weird to me. It feels like these are two songs that got mashed together. Because it's talking about building. The Lord doesn't build it. It's in vain. He brings sleep. And then it, woo, children are heritage from the Lord. It's like, did, <laughs> did somebody like mash some pages together? No. David turns to that because he knows that the cost of a person, a leader in particular, building his own name is usually borne by the most vulnerable. The psalm knows what we've learned often through history. The ones that pay the cost of name building are often children. David knows this because he's experienced it in his own family. If you read through... First and Second Samuel, in the beginning of First Kings, David's family turned to chaos because David forgot a lot of the wisdom that he had gained over time. And when David worked 
as if power belonged to him because he was special. When he started trying to build the kingdom in his own name, in a sense, he paid the cost in his own family and in the families of others. He knows, as his son is about to inherit the throne, that he will be tempted to think lastly of children. Or lastly, of the most vulnerable. He will be tempted to pursue wealth and power without thinking about how it's going to impact other people. He knows that Solomon will be tempted to think of children and the vulnerable as a distraction from his goals. That there's big, big important things to do and kids will get in the way. And so David reminds Solomon here, children are a heritage Children are a blessing. Children are investing in children is far more important than building a tower. That's true building. Investing in this next generation. Children are not a distraction from what are what matters. They are what matters. They're an essential part of it. They're not all of it. Children aren't all of it. We'll talk about that more in a minute. He knows that Solomon is going to think that they're vulnerable and get in the way. But he knows that that way of thinking is vanity. The way we can know if we are pursuing making a name for ourselves or pursuing the way of the Lord is how we think of and how we treat the most vulnerable among us. Not just children, but the most vulnerable among us. Do we disdain them? Do we treat them like a distraction from what really matters? Jesus experienced this in his life. We can read it in Mark 10. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching, and he's picked up this, uh, this name. You know, people have been following him, and he starts to teach. And he's teaching on in really important adult stuff, divorce specifically. And in the middle of his teaching, people start bringing their children up to Jesus. So imagine like a, I don't know, I always picture like a TED Talk, and Jesus is on stage, and it looks really important. And then there's like a bunch of moms that are like lifting up their kids. Like, here, touch him. Hold him. Hold the baby. And Jesus is holding the baby. The disciples get mad because Jesus is doing something important, and they're his right-hand guys. And so they start rebuking the families. Don't bring these kids up here. They're making noise. They're distracting everybody that's around. And it says that Jesus was indignant. This is a powerful word of anger. Jesus was indignant at this. And he says the famous verse, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God with a little child will never enter it. Now, as I say that, I want to remind you that Jesus had no children himself. Jesus never married. Yet he recognized what we see in this psalm, that the way we can know if we're pursuing a name for ourselves, which is what the disciples seem to have started to do, the way we can know if we are pursuing a name for ourselves or pursuing the way of the Lord is how we think of and treat the most vulnerable among us. And never for a moment enter Jesus' mind that these children that are in front of me while I'm speaking, these children that I'm holding in my arms, that are making noise and distracting, are a problem. Didn't enter his mind at all. Because the kingdom belonged to them. This psalm expands on this by reminding that children aren't just a thing we sacrifice for, though that's certainly going to happen. You know, uh, caring for children requires sacrifice. And not just one's own children. Caring for children at all requires sacrifice. But children are a blessing from God. 
It speaks of them as arrows in the hands of a warrior that will serve to protect the elderly from being taken advantage of. That's what verse 5 means. The children of one's youth, those children that take time and energy and money, they will serve when they were older as a protection when their parents are vulnerable from enemies and poor. You know, how, how, many, how many scams and how many fraud things that happen that target the elderly? It's saying here that children invested in, cared for, grow up to be protectors, not just of their own parents. What we see in this psalm is a vision of a community of blessing. You know, to come back to thinking about churches, um, a lot of times churches can set up lots of prayer and set up lots of things to do, and they create a church, an institution, that can only really be lived in and inhabited in by people who are young adults with lots of energy, time, able-bodied, no problems. You know, the picture they paint that if you're really going to follow Jesus, you're going to be this person with boundless energy, open calendar that's filled up. You're going to be doing this, that, and the other every single week, weekend, weekend. But the picture we have here in Psalm 127 is that there's no too young and there's no too old. As we spoke about, you know, the way we can know we're following the Lord is how we treat and think of the most vulnerable among us. And this passage speaks about children and the elderly. I do feel like I need to say this, though. Because these verses, if you've heard them, they're pretty famous in some circles. And they get used to tell people that if they want to read, really have faith, they need to have as many kids as they can. You maybe heard it, you know, the quiverful movement. It's like have as many children as you possibly can. And that's really having faith in God. That's pursuing what matters. And this psalm tells us that it does matter to care for children, but it doesn't say that that's the only way of living a life that pursues what matters. It's one way. But the truth is not all people will have children. Not all people will marry. Jesus didn't. The Apostle Paul didn't. Over half the New Testament was written by unmarried people. It's not a sign that something is wrong with you. Your pathway of caring, caring for the vulnerable among us, for pursuing a life that values what God values, may be completely different. It's going to look different for different people. And that's okay. It doesn't mean love is closed off to you. Someone that's, that's single. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not blessed by God. In fact, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul, a single man himself, says... Uh, those who are single may be freed up to live in the love of Jesus in way, ways that those with marriages and kids can only imagine. The number of kids that you have is never the point. There's no award waiting the person with the most children. There's no like awards day going to happen. The point is this. Does the way we live come from a sense that we need to prove ourselves by what we have and what we do? Or does the way we live come from a deep sense of worthiness in Jesus that turns us toward the vulnerable. As a church, do we value every person at every stage in life? Do we see a, an elderly person come in and think, okay, they can't volunteer for this, that? Do we see a kid come in and say, well, we'll invest in them and maybe one day they'll be able to volunteer? No. No, no. I want to turn to the last section of this 
Because there's a tragedy at the center of this psalm. It's not in the words, but it's in the knowledge of what happened next. Solomon did not listen to this wisdom. Solomon did not listen to what David told him here. Solomon was a wise man. One thing you know about him, he was wise and he was rich, right? He reigned for a time following after God, caring well for the nation, but his heart turned to chasing wealth, to chasing sex, to chasing becoming as knowledgeable as he could, and it led to the shattering of his kingdom soon after his death. Solomon tried to build a name for himself, and it ended in disaster. And he understood what happened before the end. In fact, if you want to read Solomon's reflections on him pursuing every pathway he could, read the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's, in fact, it's kind of an unpacking of this psalm, in a sense. Think of it that way. Psalm 127 is right before the beginning of his reign. Ecclesiastes is at the end after he has not followed this wisdom. Ecclesiastes goes through all these different things that Solomon chased after. Money, power, sex, and it says that it was what? All in vain. Just like his dad had told him before he was king. And Solomon's son didn't learn from him either. His son Rehoboam, he split the kingdom in two. And so did most of his descendants walking in foolishness. Over and over again they pursued making a name for themselves. The most vulnerable paid the price. And it all shattered. But one son of David did not. One. Jesus. In his life, Jesus over and over turned away from making a name for himself. He pursued the way of life described in this psalm to Solomon. A way turned toward the most vulnerable for their good. For our good. He won us to God. He frees us from the penalty of sin and his crucifixion. And he wins for us vindication and a name, a new life. His resurrection. And so we stand this morning as those who are invited to stop trying to make a name for ourselves. We are justified by God in His sight. We are adopted by Him into His family. And springing from that, we can value what God values in this world. Because we know it is by grace we have been saved. We can truly work. Because our works can come from a root of worthiness in Jesus. So hear the call this morning. Friends, you don't have to hustle to prove your worth. Not in a career. Not to earn a bunch of money in a bank account. You don't need to hustle in your family. God gives you sleep. He invites you to rest in Him. Come to Jesus. Find in Him worthiness before God and before man that cannot be shaken because it is found in the firm foundation of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices to try to build monuments to our own names, but you bring us into your kingdom and you teach us what matters. That you justify us in your sight, that we may stand as those who have been credited as righteous in you and springing from the root of that worthiness that we don't have to work to earn we can go out into this world and value what you value. Knowing we're not earning our name for ourselves, we are simply following our God. So I pray, God, root this deep within our hearts that we may walk in wisdom, 
that we may walk in your grace, that we may have eyes especially turned to the vulnerable and weak among us, that you would make us a welcoming and a hospitable people that live out what is right. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.